everybody. You are listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 518, The Inevitable Disappointment. Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, it's good to see you're still alive, still still breathing. <laughs> yeah, I made it through. Saturday was definitely extremely disappointing, although an, an all too familiar feeling. And so in some respects, you know, as I said, I was optimistic and still realistic about what the potential outcome was. And in the end, England found a an even more creative way to lose on penalties, which that's probably not the, the, what I saw coming, but yeah, it's yeah. Well, I mean, they haven't had much luck in, in, in penalty shootouts, but um, I had said to you off podcast that I had seen the stat that that was the first penalty England have missed in like a non uh, like penalty shootout format in their world cup history. I think they were 12 for the, their first 12 or something like that and that was the first one missed yeah so they were due um they were due and yeah i mean it was obviously you know there was even more significance to it it was harry kane with the, the possibility to become england's all-time leading goal scorer so he had that writing on it uh yep. you know he himself going into it i think he was 18 for 20 penalties for yep. england so a, a pretty good record uh so yeah it's massively disappointing and it's a terrible terrible penalty i think that's the thing i think if it had just been saved you can maybe you know that's there's a certain element of luck involved in a penalty if the goalkeeper goes the right way his first penalty was near on unstoppable you know so he had that going for it and then the second penalty i mean just to blast it over the ball his technique is really poor when you when you kind of like break down his actual technique he's leaning back kind of an unforgivable mistake to have taking a penalty and, you know, you can maybe get it. Um, taking two penalties in the same match is difficult. It, it makes the Against mind game. your own keeper, I guess, too, right? Yeah, it's the keeper he plays with at club level. So of all the goalkeepers in the world, Hugo Lloris probably knows his tendencies pretty much as well as anyone. That being said, they've made a big deal in the French press about how Hugo Lloris, like, his mind games played a part in terms of helping to put Harry Kane off when taking the second penalty. Hugo Lloris' statement following the match was that he he felt certain that Harry Kane wouldn't go the same way that he did in the first for the first penalty. But then Hugo Lloris went the same he way. Went the same way. <laughs> yeah. So like it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, you know, that would have made yeah. sense if he just committed to the other way and then Harry Kane had missed. But yeah. And, there's and there was, I, I mean, I, in the in the American uh, commentary, they were saying that he had maybe missed so poorly because when he started to go, he saw that Luis had guessed correctly, and that kind of threw him off a little bit, and that what kind of made him like pop it up a little more. Not, not that he knew he was defeated, but that like once he had seen he had guessed right, he kind of you know just acted a little differently and and kind of just popped it up. But I don't know if I buy that either. I mean, it's not, it's not a game of baseball, but I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I think, like, like not pop. I think like given, I think given how bad his technique is there, I don't think that has to do with him seeing that Lloris has gone the right way. He's leaning back. 
it is every anyone who's ever been coached on taking a penalty taking a free kick shooting i mean it's the one it's the cardinal sin of shooting right like you are significantly reducing and then he leans back and then hits it extremely cleanly you know it's the combination it's one of those if he hadn't hit it quite as cleanly as he did then maybe he gets away with leaning back but just absolutely rocketed it over the bar um I think there's an argument to be made that Harry Kane shouldn't have taken the second one. Again, in the French press, they're all claiming both the French players and a lot of the French journalists are all saying they were very surprised to see Harry Kane step up to take the second one. But, you know, as we've spoken about so many times on the podcast, it's outcome-based. So if they'd replaced Harry Kane as the taker and then that person misses, then everyone would be critical of England for overthinking of it, th- thinking it, and also be critical of Harry Kane for sort of not having the the guts to step up and take an important penalty. So you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if things go badly and yeah. things went badly. So, you know, it's disappointing. I also, I'm sure we're going to get into the match in a lot of detail, just so that my French listeners, I understand this was not a penalty to win the match. You know, this was a penalty to make it to all late in the game. England may well have still been knocked out. There is no guarantee that Harry Kane scores that penalty in England or in the semifinals. And some of the discussion about the match has kind of implied, like Kane, you know, misses golden opportunity to put England to the semifinals. It would have just been level with five minutes to go. Like there's England were certainly the better team in the second half. I'll, I'll, I'll make the bold comment, Eddie. He puts that in. They win in in regular time. They don't even go to extra time. Oh, okay. I'm not sure I agree with that at all. But I mean, they but yeah, were pressing. They were, but the tactics would have changed, right? Had it been two all, I think both teams probably would have, at that moment in time, settled for extra time. I think is the likely outcome. How aggressive? I think England would have extra time would have favored England. They have stronger options off the bench, uh, so they would have felt as if an additional 30 minutes would have suited them. So I think that's the other shame, and. You know, you had an England, a French team that had a couple of key players on bookings who would have had to have weakened their team through substitutions for sure. And so, you know, you would have felt reasonably confident, I suppose. But yeah, it's not a guarantee. People are speaking about this as if he had a penalty in like the 93rd minute at two all to suddenly yep. put England through. And, and that's not the scenario that England were in. Yeah. I, I mean, so for me... I feel I've I'm relatively new to the scene here, and you know may, maybe let's say being an England supporter since 2016 ish, uh, probably when when I really started getting into it, maybe a little before that, um, you know. But I'm I'm reminded of the Coldplay lyrics, Eddie. Nobody said it was easy, but nobody said it was ever going to be this hard. Because I am just it is it is just finding new ways to just ruin a weekend and, and be miserable and and this this one for me so far out of what it would have been uh, two thousand sixteen Euros eighteen World Cup and twenty Euros this is I think by far the the most difficult to swallow because I I I definitely think they were the better team on that field. And I think they were deserving of a win. And when I look back on it, I really can't say, you know, like there's no, like for me, there's no, they just lost. They just happened to not win. 
You know, it's one of those matches where I think they're the better team and they just didn't win. It's not as if you can blame, like, I don't think you really blame Southgate that much. You know, maybe you blame Harry Kane, but at the end of the day, he's your most reliable penalty taker and you got to hope he makes it and not, you don't make it every time. Like if you made it every time, then there'd be no doubt. Right. So you can't be super like hateful on him. I think as, as a whole, the team played pretty well. They had two, two lapses in D and you know, the, if anything, and you don't want to be the person who blames the ref, you don't want to be the person who blames the ref. Right. But like there were some really poor, poor non-calls in that match. So it's tough. It's like, it's, it's a tough one to swallow, I think. So I'm going to start out negative. I'll say this, my overall summary on how I feel, I'm, I'm, you know, I think this England football team, probably US match aside, played some really good football over the course of the tournament, including in that France match. I do think they were the better side in that match. I'm kind of proud of their performance overall in terms of turning up to a big match. I'm Southgate not making a decision to be negative in terms of his tactics. England team responding really well to going a goal down. You know, everything about that what they how they carry themselves over the course of this tournament, over the course of that match, I think is extremely positive. That being said, I'm now going to switch to a slightly more negative way. It's not a boxing fight. We don't get any, you know, there's no winning on points here. So whoop-de-doo, better team on the day. France are probably going to go on to win the World Cup, and no one's going to remember in 20 years, and are going to be saying, but remember in that World Cup quarterfinal, England were probably a little bit better. Who cares? You know, like no prizes for possibly being better than your opponent in a game of football. Second of all, good teams lose. Uh, Good teams win when they're not quite the best team. It's one of the qualities of being a good team, actually, is taking your chances, is scraping through when you maybe weren't on top. And so France, in a sense, showed the qualities of a good team, and England didn't. And then third of all, we've got to be able to stop accepting mediocrity Overall, as an as a nation, this is an incredibly talented group of footballers. And so we shouldn't be kind of setting the standard of, well, you maybe played better, but you didn't win. But France are quite good, right? Like I think England have the more talented group of football players. Why should we be accepting losing? Like, you know, there's and again, I'm not I'm not too despondent when it comes to this. Overall, I kind of I mean you know, my long-term theory is that I enjoy the World Cup more and, or the Euros more as a result of England never winning. It means I saw the difference between what Harry Kane's equalizer meant versus to me versus all the French people in the bar when Giroud scored. The, the passion, the emotion, everything, it's not on the same scale. So I get to experience something in a way that they just don't anymore. And, and and that kind of is better. France might win the World Cup and the French fans will wake up the next day and business as usual. And then they'll go into the next one kind of expecting to win. That's okay. Cool. Good for them. I, I get an emotional roller coaster they can only dream of. Yeah, but, but Eddie, if they lose another one like this and you might not wake up the next morning. <laughs> honestly, I didn't take this one. I'll, I'll also say this. This was a different type of defeat for me in watching England in a major tournament because of the fact that I felt like they were the better team because of the fact that I genuinely thought that they could win this World Cup. But if you want to say the lows of this are in any way compared to the lows of losing to Iceland in Euro 2016 when they were just awful, like that, that to me was 
much, much worse. And sometimes people have to put that, you know, put everything in context. But I felt awful after that Iceland performance. It was just impossible to pick any positives to think of what the future, you know, the next few tournaments for England would look like. From this one, you think it's a really good group of young players. They'll have pretty much an identical squad at the next major tournament if they want to. I mean, there are some other young players knocking on the door who will probably replace a few of them. But the core of a very strong England team is set for the next five, six years. In the case of someone like June Bellingham, you're looking at the next 12, 13, 14, 15 years with a player who could well go on to become the best midfielder in the world. There's some obvious weaknesses still within this England squad, midfield being the big one, I think. And Southgate, I think, takes some responsibility for that. As good as England have been over the course, like when you're not creating chances for Harry Kane from open play, you have to question, why aren't we? What are we not doing to... to the, what, how are we setting ourselves up that is not allowing us to create chances for one of the best finishers in world football. Why aren't we? Why is his role, as good as he is at doing it, dropping so deep, becoming involved in play, being a creator for other players? And that's the thing that would, where I think Southgate falls a little bit short, tactically. I also think, once again, he waited too long to make substitutions in that one. Why do we have better substitutes? And... You're waiting until the 70-ish, whatever minute it was for him to make a change. Why are you not bringing on players? You're on top. Make a proactive substitution. Try and try and make France change the way they're playing. And instead it was, you know, things seem to be going well. Let's not touch it. And that's, in the end, to have, you know, the kind of mindless bringing on Jack Realish with seconds left. I don't even know what the point of that was. <laughs> There's just... You know, it is what it is. It's disappointing. It's two very good teams playing against each other. Anything could have happened. England played well. I don't actually think France played particularly well, but they took their chances. They rode their luck. You know, Upamecano will never score a goal like that again in his life. We can just put that on the highlight reels and go, well done. Remember that one time he scored a good goal? Giroud gets a deflected header that manages to go in, and they have one other chance to score. And that's it. And they win 2-1. England missed a penalty, have another penalty, had a couple of other very good chances to score, and they only score one goal. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. And you know, and we we had talked, I think, previously about how up up to this match, for the most part, England were doing really well to make the most of every opportunity they had. And I think this was the first match where they really did it. You know, they they weren't putting them in when they had really nice chances, you know, they were just missing or over, over the net or a bad penalty. So I think, you know, that obviously made a difference, but I, I guess for me, then a few questions for you. We'll start, I guess, with Southgate cause you love Southgate so much. I, I I'm torn because I think I hear both of what you say when you, when you said how he waited so long to sub, because I think they were playing well and they were creating chances. So if you're a team that, that's out there that's creating the chances. Why do you want to disrupt that? So I, I, I don't fully because criticize has, him for, for waiting so long. If it, if it seems like it's going well, but not everyone was contributing to that. So like there, there were a couple star players in terms of that performance from an England perspective. Uh, you know, I thought Declan Rice was phenomenal 
in the work that he did. And he'd had some criticism over the course of the tournament for sort of being a little bit yeah. of a passenger at times. But in terms of the work he did in terms of breaking up France's play, kind of helping to con- England to control the match, he was outstanding. But, you know, they weren't getting a ton. Saka was excellent. Oh, great. Foden was, Foden was kind of anonymous. Yeah. And so you're in this situation where you're like, well, one of our key attacking players is, is not having the best match of his life. We have a numerous options to come on to, to replace him. So the team's playing well, but I think I can optimize this performance because we're not getting anything out of our left winger. And with the way England are set up to play, they have to get creativity out of their wings. That is the threat that they pose. So to wait that long, you know, Foden wasn't awful, but he just wasn't creating much. And so then the option to bring on Rashford, Sterling, or Grealish to try and make some difference there, to me, that's where it's like it's going well. I mean, it's not like we were creating chance after chance after chance. They're just marginally on top. And then I long term. Long term, I mean, I think you've – I said coming into the tournament, right, that the best way for him to keep his job was losing to France in the quarterfinals because it's it's the easiest out in a sense to say France are defending world champions. They may well go on to win this World Cup, so you can't be overly critical of him. They didn't do anything tremendously wrong over the course of the tournament. He still faces that criticism that – England, the England team he manages beats the team they should beat. And then probably Germany aside in Euro 2016, they lose to all the, uh, sorry, 20 in Euro 2020, they lose to all the teams you would expect them to maybe lose to. That's not a great record to have as a coach or a manager. I think he has to stay. I also think, I don't know who replaces him is the other difficult element of the, you know, but he can't get too much credit. How much, how much do you buy into, uh, I, I mean, positioning substitutions aside for him, bring this team together and what seems pretty genuine from what the players say that they are a very close, close knit team that gets along very well and, and seem to be all on the same page. I mean, do you give him credit for that as, as a manager? Is Not every manager can probably do that, and he seems to put together a good group that kind of wants to be there and all wants to work towards a common goal. Yeah, he deserves some credit for that. At the same time, he has a wonderfully talented group of players at his disposal. He doesn't deserve any credit for that, right? Like he has no role in developing those players on a consistent basis. He's also pretty lucky. There are... A, a sizable chunk of his squad now are managed by some of the best managers in the world. So their professionalism, their mindset, their development within that cult, those cultures, they're then bringing those to England. So he maybe has an easier task than some England managers have, placed, have faced in the past. And, you know, the, you have all the old retired England players who talk about how there were, you know, clicks before and, how the rivalries between major teams meant that they they kind of just didn't interact well and it, it maybe made it more challenging for them to play as a sort of cohesive unit when they were representing England. Southgate probably plays some part in helping to remove that, but I also just think that's just a culture shift in football overall. And just the fact that, you know, players don't hate each other as much. You know, like back in the day, 
Liverpool players hated Manchester United players. Now they're all pals. You know, that's not because of Gareth Southgate. That's just because football is a different world now. Um, so, but look, in terms of everything he does in the press, in terms of from a culture standpoint, he nails it. But from an actual tactical standpoint, I'm not sure that he does. And, you know, aside from my the way I reassure myself by telling me how much more this makes it mean to me. And I'm already looking forward to the next world cup. And if England had won this one, I wouldn't have that same excitement, that same desire. If I, if I take that away, it's just another failure at a stage when, you know, England have gone out in the quarterfinals more than any other nation. This is the seventh time England have lost at the quarterfinal stage. There's a mindset there. That is the reason why that keeps happening. Cause it's not all about quality of players. So you said you wanted to start with the negatives. Does that mean you had positives? Yeah, as I said, I think they were the better team. I thought they, for the most part, completely outplayed France. I don't think France, France did not impress me one bit. I didn't walk away from that. And that's, in a sense, what makes it more upsetting. And also living in France, French people just can't accept that. They can't. I, I have, I've interacted with very few French people since then who've had the, just the dignity to say, yeah, you were better on the day. I always preface it by saying exactly what I've just said. Doesn't matter. Good teams win when they're second best, and you don't get points for outplaying your opposition. But most French people say, well, well, no, but you had two penalties. You know, other than that, you didn't score. So, so there's positives. There's positives over the course of the tournament, just in terms of that young core looking so good. I mean, to have the central midfield pairing of Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham you know, that England can have for years to come and have that look to look forward to. It's exciting. The likes of, you know, Phil Foden, Saka, like there's so many of these players who England can just build around for, you know, multiple tournaments. But, and they played well. I thought they were brave. I thought when that goal went in, and at the time, the, the France were on top until they scored. And I joked to the people around me in the bar France have just made the biggest mistake they're going to make. They've made the mistake England have made in, in all of their crucial matches in recent times, scoring early and then sitting back. And that's exactly what France did. They were happy to try and you know grind out a 1-0 win, and they weren't good enough to do that. I mean, England had a number of good attacking positions. You know, Kane nearly scored when he tried to just kind of dink it over Lloris. That was so close. They should have had a first penalty for the challenge um, when Upamecano took Harry Kane down. And I want to I want to give some credit to Ollie on this one because in our little chat it was going off. You know, people were saying, well, the foul started outside the box. It doesn't actually matter where it started. If the foul continues into the box, it's a penalty. And the box includes the line. And there is no way you can watch replays of that foul and not see contact on Harry Kane into the box. And the law of the game, I think it's rule, I think it's law 12 of the sort of offenses and misdemeanors or whatever the category they call it, specifically refers to holding. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Because in, 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 com- in the US commentary, it was saying exactly that, except that that is only for holding. And if and it's a non holding be- foul, then that doesn't count. It ha- and that that's because Americans starts. don't understand the sport. Because it's written as holding, but it applies to all forms of offenses. So any contact that occurs that starts outside, continues into, it is not the 
you know, it's not the moment at which you could initiate the contact. It is where the contact stops. So, you know, it was a penalty. As I said, it doesn't really matter. Who knows? You know, maybe they still misses, you know, does he score three penalties then? You know, like what's, but still, I think overall, you know, also there was a foul in the buildup to the France goal. We've been kind of fouls, Saka. Oh, I, I mean, there was so many. I mean, even even the penalty you're just literally referencing, even if it's not a penalty, how is that not a foul? Well, that's the that's the thing. <laughs> I, and, and VAR can't. If VAR I know, I understand VAR can't call a foul, but how do you not just call a foul on the field? The I mean, that was obvious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he literally and, just kicks him in the back of the leg. It's not no, and, it, and there were a number of those. And it, and, and then the, the Saka and the buildup. I mean, he just gets kind of held and thrown to the ground and then they take the ball and go the other way and and score i mean that was and then you don't call there wasn't an original call on the second penalty either i, I mean no. like, yeah thankfully no, that no. was in the box right but uh, how how you don't call even in american football that's a foul that's a pass interference and a, and an unnecessary roughness hit yeah, on I a don't, defenseless receiver <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if that's yes yeah it's true that is a pass interference i for mean sure. that was blatant <laughs> i mean it was stupid defending it's just my because it's not like mount was even getting to the ball so it's it's uh you know hernandez should be delighted because in another world kane scores that penalty and then saying and go on to win and that gets highlighted as one of the dumbest pieces of defending you're ever going to see yeah so he should thank his lucky stars because in the end it will be forgotten. You know, in the wash it will just go away because France may well go on and win the World Cup and they won't remember how dumb. You know, like if that's Harry Maguire doing that, that is on every highlight reel for the rest of time. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, I mean, Hernandez in general should just be thankful they won that match because he did not have their, a particularly strong match. <laughs> all their defenders should. And again, they were they are so helped out by the referee. I mean, you don't want to blame officiating. And England played well enough where they could have removed that factor from the match. But he consistently allowed the French to just commit these petty fouls all the time. It took three occasions for him to book Griezmann. I think the second one should have been a booking for Griezmann because both of them, you know, every single time it was England, France losing the ball, England starting to move on the break, and he would just take a player out. Yeah. You maybe let him get away with the first. You don't let him get away with the second. To have it only happen on the third, Griezmann then does it a fourth time, no, no additional booking. Nothing. And that's to be expected because he would have almost said, well, you've just booked him for the last one, so you probably don't book him for this one. But if he booked him for the second one, which is when he should have booked him, then the fourth one, he'll be sent off. Yeah. So he's kind of delayed the significant punishment there. And yeah, he just consistently missed yeah. fouls I mean, for, everywhere. For every five times Saka was brought down, he got a foul call against him. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. There was two or three where he was, you know, he would, you know, cut to the front of the box and just just get taken out terribly and no call, no call. Like what? Yeah. I don't know what was going on. And this is the other thing that frustrates me, you know, because again, talking to French people and being critical of the refereeing and then subsequently said, well, England got two penalties though, as if either there's some like quota on the number, like, yeah. and only would have gotten one if it weren't for VAR. <laughs> yeah. And probably should have had three. So even if you want to say, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's 66% success rate on the correct decisions, but regarding penalties, you know, and that's the bit that bothers me. The French are just ungracious assholes. You know, like they just have no ability. <laughs> like just 
for 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 a country that's been so 27 minutes to come out (laughs) but for for a country that's been so successful in football and for the most part you know watches it and should have such a sophisticated understanding if i had been speaking to americans you know to throw the america but i would get it you know like you may be a young country when it comes to understanding the game and you know all of those elements like that it's not built into your culture so having a very nuanced discussion sometimes is a little bit more challenging yeah, but for quick a shot on person, Americans, even though they're not even in a discussion, just quick shot. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got to satisfy got to get the listeners. <laughs> yeah, but to not again, it's it's to not be able to just recognize that you know, wow, we we kind of got the rub of the green there. Um, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, the lucky first goal. It's a great cross from Griezmann for the Giroud goal. He gets a bit of luck that it comes off McGuire. Even, yeah, I was gonna say even that is kind of. I don't want to say they were lucky to win. I, I mean, I just think at the end of the day, sometimes better teams don't win. Like we see that all the time. And like you said, at the, yeah. and like you said, it doesn't matter. Like good teams will still find a way to win, even even in those situations. But I mean, that one, it gets deflected, and had it not kind of been so low that Giroud had to like go down and head it. I mean, I think McGuire meets him up, up at the top. You know, like it, it, it just like I, I'm not gonna. No, I'm not. I'm not. Kind of, no, the cross is very good. So I'm not gonna give them. I'm not gonna say that was lucky. That's a great ball into the box. I think McGuire, maybe the first time you can be critical of him in this tournament to allow Giroud to get in front of him. He can't do that. You know, they've got one threat in the box, and you're gonna allow him to to get in front of you for a cross like. I'm sure he's today or yesterday or the rest of his life now is going to be thinking about like, I shouldn't have let that happen. But yeah, they still, they get that little bit of a deflection. I don't think it's going in without the deflection. I think it's actually possibly even going wide. And you know, whereas then you think down the other end, Harry Maguire has a header that just grazes the post. Loris might've had it covered had it been on target. Although I think Maguire should have just done better with the chance anyway, because he was wide, you know, he's just unmarked for a header whatever it is, 15 yards out, like he should just be burying that. But yeah, you know, France, everything kind of, the cards just fell their way on the day and that happens. But I do at the same time think that England need to say, you need to be playing well enough where the referee isn't determining the outcome or where a little bit of bad luck isn't determining the outcome. You know, go away, just go out there one day and just just totally outplay an opponent in a big match. And, and then don't have it come down to, well, what happened in this singular moment or this other one, you know, and Harry Kane said afterwards, it was a match. It came down to fine margins. It shouldn't have though. England were better. They should have made it wide margins. It should have been four to England with everyone going, oh, it wasn't it cute. France scored a really nice first goal and they got a deflection on the second one. Who cares? Referee wasn't great, but we thrashed them. You know, like that's what you want to be in the position to do. But instead it's like, no, we lost because we lose. Yeah. So the last talking point I have from this is, is to bring Kane, Harry Kane back. Does, does he fully get over this? Um, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one because you know, his, his situation is so unique out of players with the kind of the stature that he has in global football and that he's won nothing. You know, like most people will have that moment of failure. Like say Neymar. Neymar's facing the prospect of a disappointing international career. I mean, he, he won the Olympics, but who cares? 
but you know, a disappointing international career. But in that time, he'll have, you know, won tons of things at a club level. Whereas Harry Kane is facing the very realistic prospect of retiring, at which point he will almost certainly be the all-time leading goal scorer for England. I'm assuming he'll score another one at some point. And the all-time leading goal scorer in the Premier League. Assuming he doesn't have a serious injury and plays, you know, five, six, seven more years in the Premier League, he's he's going to get there. So on paper, incredible career, but may end up winning absolutely nothing. And then instead of being celebrated for the player he is or the goal scorer he was, he risks being the like the almost man. And he does have an unfortunate record of making mistakes or coming up just short in some big matches. He's, you know, he didn't have a great game against France. The penalties would have maybe covered up for the fact that he wasn't that, you know, involved in the play overall. But there's been a number of occasions for England where he's maybe gone slightly missing. He had that terrible miss against Croatia in the last semifinal that would have put England 2-0 up. You know, he's had some moments where he's just, things haven't gone well for him. I think that makes it harder for him to recover. He's also facing the end of his career, so he might not get that many more opportunities, certainly at an England level. I don't know. He's a... People always talk about him as being just the perfect professional. So you have to think he finds a way to pick himself up, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. I don't know how you do it. I, I, you know, I honestly, I can only imagine his level of emotions. When you just think about the casual supporter, I mean, maybe not casuals everywhere, but when you think of all the supporters and how just let down and beat down they are, and they actually have nothing to do with the match. And you have someone who not only has to deal with that for him and his team, but also is kind of like, holding the supporters emotions on his shoulders as well so you know he's got a he's let down everybody and again like we said that wasn't to win it right they might have he might have made that and then they go on and lose right but still i think as a player you in your mind defaults to i lost us this match maybe you didn't win it but you lost it you lost oh, the no. opportunity to win it 100 and 100 no 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 there's I there's don't no know how you get over that stage it's oh, it's got to be so so difficult, and like you feel so bad because like you said he he seems like a genuinely nice person. You know, there are certain people that if that happened to, I could say like, "Fuck it, I don't care if that messes him up." You know, like he's an asshole, but he seems like someone who is a genuinely good person, and it's just got to be. This is going to be a rough few months. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, and it's the defining element of your life. You know, I mean the history of England footballers is littered with players whose defining moment is failure. And it will, I mean, Gareth Southgate is the perfect example of it. His Maybe his managerial career now has maybe slightly overshadows his failure with, a you know, having a penalty saved in the semifinals of Euro 96. But still up in, you know, when you ask the any person who was alive in the 90s, like, well, Gareth Southgate is a footballer. What do you remember? Oh, him having a penalty saved in a penalty shootout in year 96. Everything else he achieved, not that he was, certainly didn't have a career on the, of the standards of Harry Kane, but 
that's it. And it's not alone. I mean, you know, Baggio for Italy, like misses a penalty in the final 94. Talking about an incredible player, but that's all anyone thinks of. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's And the only way he can truly overcome it is flash forward three and a half years, he's still playing for England and he steps up to take the penalty to win in the World Cup. You know, like those are, or scores a hat trick in the World Cup final or, you know, something like he has to have the redemption element of the arc in order to really properly get over it. Otherwise, no, I think that that haunts him a little bit. I think about it in my own relatively pathetic sporting career. But even, you know, and I'm sure you can think of the same. I still have the occasional flashbacks to things I did wrong from a sporting perspective. And they were totally inconsequential, right? Like no one else is ever losing sleep over them. My teammates probably don't even remember them. You know, like it doesn't matter. But every once in a while, I suddenly remember being 16 years old and making a mistake and thinking, God, if I wish I hadn't done that. Now I have to hey. multiply that by oh. 10,000 million percent. You know, like how what, what's the exponential increase to in some way relate to that? And if that's haunting me, Sometimes 20 years later, God, I can't imagine what it's like to have been through what he's just been through. Great thing about having a terrible long-term memory, Eddie. I don't remember what sports I played. <laughs> <laughs> the benefits of CTE. Well, this is the spin we should be, the NFL should be putting on it. Oh, you think we're damaging our players? We're actually ensuring their long-term mental health because they will not remember their failures. But hey, Shall look, good news. good news. Oh, France good gets- news, France gets... France get to move on, and and the referee for that match, the only one out of the quarter referees that were used in the quarterfinal who has been considered a, a possible selection for both the semifinals and the final. So, FIFA is rewarding his performance. Wow, yeah, nice. So yeah, they were impressed. That's insane. Yes, unbelievable. And here's the you know actually because going into the match he'd already had a slight issue with not sending off Matty Cash for a second possible booking event, uh, a little bit similar to the Griezmann thing. Um, it was in Poland, Saudi Arabia, they were unhappy that he kind of let out. The funny thing is coming into the tournament and and kind of reading the write up about him before the match, it was the opposite. He's like this card happy referee. He sent off a player one in every three matches. He awards penalties super frequently. So maybe he realized, maybe he kind of went into that and be like, I'm not going to make the mistakes I always make. No cards, no penalties. So. <laughs> so we can move on to the rest of the quarterfinal matches. Um, and maybe we'll just start with who France will be facing, which will make you more upset, I think. Yeah. Um, you you made a you made a comment pre England match that I won't I won't repeat what the comment was, but it was it was uh, how upset you'd be if, if if England were to lose with the possibility of facing Morocco in the semifinals. I also need to hold my hands up before we just as a final note before we move on. I didn't take my toothbrush. Are you and, kidding me? And uh, are you kidding me? And I had to oh, take. You some. are you are the culprit. You know what <laughs> I was gonna say. I was going to take a lot of responsibility because my bet was England to qualify and Harry Kane to score two or more goals. 
<laughs> oh no 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 then, no 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 then that's the duke of curse but, no 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 the no. fact that you said you were bringing a toothbrush and then you didn't bring a toothbrush and i no. and i was at home thinking thank god eddie's got his toothbrush that's the reason he missed you weren't in there no. brushing. no see the penalty it wouldn't have been a factor i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have gone to the bathroom for the penalty i think rashford's free kick flies in the top corner if I had had my toothbrush. That's the one. The penalty, I wouldn't have... That was still with like... That was what, the 83rd minute? And then on top of yeah. it, you knew that there was going to be at least six, seven, eight minutes of added time. So there's 15 minutes left in the match at that point. I'm not going to the... I'm not getting the toothbrush out. I'm going to the... the, You know... So no, you're the... You've Duke accursed. You kept that very no. quiet. You Duke no, accursed. No, no, no. This is you. This is you. This you, is all on you. No, I no, cannot no. believe you said you were bringing a toothbrush and you didn't bring a toothbrush. Well, we can let the listeners decide. Another plug, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and you can let us know whether you think that was a, a mistaken non-toothbrush usage or the Duke accursed. For the record, it was England to win. So they would have had to win in, in, in time. Doesn't matter. I'm sure as soon as you got the penalty, I bet you gave yourself a little fist pump. Like, there we are. There, here's the Harry Kane second goal. I bet you had that thought run through your mind. And I could tell from your face. Well, of course definitely... I had that thought run through my mind. <laughs> exactly. Because he's going to take the penalty. <laughs> exactly. So then, and that's the moment when he probably some little thing, like some <laughs> demon floated over his body and went for the next 35 seconds, Harry. Is this angels, angels in the outfield? The, yeah. The, like the, the scary version? <laughs> exactly. For the next 35 seconds, Harry. You're not even going to remember how to play football. It's not angels in the outfield. It's demons in the box. <laughs> exactly. Well, that might be a different type of movie, but <laughs> we won't get into that. All right. Next one. Uh, Portugal, um, Portugal, Morocco. Yeah. Extremely surprising. I gave Morocco no chance of going through there. Um Defensively, they continue to be extremely impressive. Portugal didn't create a lot. I know Portugal aren't particularly happy with the referee in that match either. I don't think he was as bad as the referee in the England-France match, but he he definitely allowed maybe Morocco to get away with a few things and allowed them to break up the flow of the play, which suited them. But yeah, Portugal kind of just didn't show up. The Portugal that had looked so good the round before, it was like watching two different teams. Uh, they created pretty much nothing over the course of the match. Um and I wouldn't say Morocco deserved to win, but I don't think Portugal did either. Yeah, I, I they just played very flat. It it was like yeah. they were just playing a group stage match, you know, like. And that might be the thing that hurt them a little bit is they had that really good performance, and then maybe because they're facing Morocco, I'm not gonna say overconfidence, but maybe just in terms of your mental preparation, maybe you have one eye on the semifinal. You know, you do just feel like, wow, we're in the quarterfinals of the World Cup and we can pencil ourselves into the next round. Like, this is, and I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not implying that they didn't take the, their opponents seriously or that they were overconfident, but it might just, in terms of how energized they were and their kind of overall application, maybe it hurt them slightly. For Cristiano Ronaldo, doesn't help the legacy. Obviously, he came off the bench doesn't when he did. Dead. When he did, I felt like, oh, it's written in the stars here. It's going to be Cristiano Ronaldo scoring the winner, and but this means this. Though I'm in some respects the most surprising statistic you'll see for a while. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has never scored in the knockout stages of a World Cup. Wow, 
So for all the, you know, five, five World Cups with five consecutive World Cups where he scored goals, he's done all of that in the group stages. So a little bit of not delivering when Portugal maybe need him the most. But yeah, and, it's... And, and we talk about Ronaldo and his, uh, his jumping ability and, and his ups. But Morocco's goal, man, that guy... He got up there to head that ball. That that was Ronaldo level height there. Yeah. I don't. I didn't see anyone that actually measured it because they always do it for Ronaldo. But I hadn't seen one for for his. But I mean, he was literally halfway up a player. Like he was at least three to four feet in the air. It was it was impressive. Yeah, and again, it's you know, it's a nice fairy tale story. It just feels like sooner or later they're going to get found out, and if they have to play from behind. It's going to change everything for them. And I fully expect, and I hope I curse France in saying this, but it's hard to jinx something when you're openly saying you want to jinx it. But I expect France to just brush them aside. And, you know, this is when we'll, we'll all be watching the semifinal in a couple of days and go, oh, yeah, it turns out Morocco aren't that good. They're definitely, one, <laughs> they're definitely not one of the four best teams in the world. Like, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice story. It makes England's defeat hurt that little bit more. And I think France will comfortably beat them. I mean, they're, we'll see. I mean, they're cruising through European powerhouses right now. I mean, Spain, Portugal, now France, who knows? No, it's true. I mean, and that would be an incredible story, right? And it's, well, that's, a, that's a hell of a run. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it is. I mean, until the last round, they were the only team in, in the knockout rounds to have beaten a team ranked higher than them. Uh, Croatia then followed suit by knocking Brazil out. But yeah, it's... Um, and I no, guess with some hindsight, was that the group of death? Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, and, and Canada? <laughs> um, uh, I guess technically it's now the strongest group. Uh, based on on where the teams have made it to, but no, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually it's true, and Morocco also beat Belgium in that too. So that's another European powerhouse they've taken down. So they're, yeah. they're doing pretty good right now. <laughs> we'll yeah, see. but you know they still don't create much, and I just think, you know this this France team isn't going to be as flat as the the Spanish team and the Portuguese team, and they will create opportunities and they will score goals. And I think yeah. if you just allow them to boss the game in the way that Morocco will, because it's tactically how they'll approach it, I just think I can't see I can't see them keeping a clean sheet put that way. So uh, they're going to have to score more than one goal, and they don't seem like a team capable of scoring more than one goal. We talked about maybe getting Ollie back on the podcast if his quarterfinal to semifinal predictions had gone through, and he went four for four. We almost got him on the podcast because he nearly went zero for, for four, which might have been more impressive to get all to get all eight of the quarters correct and then Not zero the correct predictions. Yeah. I mean that would have been very impressive. And he was he was a, a few penalty sh uh, shots off from that happening. Um, so I guess the first one, the more surprising one, obviously, is Croatia over Brazil. Yeah, I mean, they Croatia played well. You know, I kind of said in predict, you know, kind of in the preview for it that I just didn't think they were going to be able to sit back and absorb pressure without Brazil eventually scoring, and that that was going to completely a little bit like talking about that France Morocco match, not with the, the 
the gulf in class is not as large, but you just felt like as soon as Brazil scored, then that would cause Croatia all sorts of problems in terms of how they approached the game. And then Brazil just didn't manage to. And then, you know, when Neymar scored an extra time, you just thought, well, that's it. That's game over. And then yeah, written in the stars, as, as you said about yeah. Ronaldo. And then, I mean, they get the somewhat lucky goal. It's heavily deflected. It doesn't go in without the deflection. It went to penalties. And I mean, as soon as Leandro missed the first penalty for Brazil, you just thought, oh, they're toast. Like sometimes in a penalty shootout, it feels like you can miss the first one and come back. But sometimes I think in both of the matches, same for the Dutch. When the Dutch missed the first one as well, it's like, oh, this is this is game over. Like they're just, you just don't feel like this is going to be one of those shootouts where each team misses three. So yeah, I mean, credit to Croatia to, you know, back-to-back world cup semifinalists. Um, I think it's the first time I can't remember the year. I think it's like the first time since 1994, maybe that the winners of the previous world cup and the losing finalists have made it back to both made it back to the semis. So typically, you know, following up on a good world cup has been a challenge. But yeah, credit goes to them. You, you got to say, right. as an aging team, to have had consecutive penalty shootouts and just extra minutes on their legs, Argentina have to be feeling like things have really worked out for them. Are we, and I don't mean we as in me and you, but I think is the general public who probably most people didn't have them reaching the semis. Are 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 we dumb for not thinking that Croatia could come back and do what they did last time or... No, I don't think so. I think there was plenty of reasons to doubt their ability and to think of them as being like a decent team. But, you know, they've had to have, I mean, look, already when you've had to win consecutive penalty shootouts, you've ridden your luck a little bit. It's not like they've been outplaying their opponents. Uh, they didn't even, they didn't cruise through the group stages either, right? So there's there's not been, I wouldn't say they've exactly been convincing in oh, their displays They were in a so group far. of death. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've they've done all right every time, but they could have easily have been knocked out at every stage. But like, yeah, it's you got to say it's a sign of a good team when when you're second best, and it seems like they're second best in every match and keep winning. So maybe they're very 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 good. <laughs> and then the last uh, quarterfinal match was Netherlands and Argentina, and that uh, ended two two two, and then went also into penalties and. Uh, a very feisty match. And Extremely this is a, feisty. A, a, a talking point I, I kind of want to bring up. But first, let's maybe talk about the match, and then we can get into a little bit of the, the attitudes. Yeah, Argentina mostly controlled it. I thought at 2-0 it was game over, and then they just sat back a little too much. And you know, then when you get the 10 minutes or whatever it was of added time, it just makes everything more nervous. They're defending from that free kick at the end. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. I don't understand how you just you set your wall and then you just allow four Dutch players to stand immediately next to it and just I mean I know in their minds they're thinking this, they're going to shoot here but it's just bizarre like I I can't you can't rewatching it you just cannot you almost can't believe that it's so naive and there a lot of the blame goes on the goalkeeper because he's the one you know who's setting the wall and who would have maybe said hey everybody look there's four dutch players standing right next to the wall this isn't <laughs> great um but yeah it was you know i i think in some respects the only talking point is was how feisty it was i mean 
highlighted probably the you know the two big moments Paredes deciding to just rocket the ball into the Dutch bench and then Van Dyke knocking him into a different universe. Oh, so good. That was one of the most satisfying things I've seen in in football in a long time because I you know football is notorious for having like non-fight fights but just to see oh, that's him a proper come fight. in and just demolish him. I mean yeah. he just destroyed it was so satisfying. But I mean, you, I, the main you said, so you, my talk but ahead, before you just in response to that, you said that the you know the Mason Mount foul could be a pin pass interference in the NFL. I think Van Dyke gets ejected from an NFL game for doing that. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so you know, in some you gotta give the credit referee maybe a little bit of credit. I know that 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 he calmer heads kind of prevailed and he didn't send him off because it would have been easy to say, I mean, if a French player had done that, I'm probably saying he should have been sent off. I would have, I think you can argue about both of them probably could have been sent off. So that was my question is how does uh, Paredes not get sent off for, he gets the initial yellow for just spikes up a brutal tackle on, on the player, a definite yellow. You could maybe even push for a red on that. It was, it, it was a high level yellow, but then to follow that up by then kicking the ball into the opposing team's bench. How is that not another yellow? I don't get that. I have no yeah. idea how how that is not a flagrant. If if he had done that any other point of the match, that's a yellow. So how come just because he made another stupid foul 10 seconds before, does he not get hit with another? I don't get it. Well, I mean, it's the problem with sometimes officiating, right, is you can kind of get away with committing multiple offenses in quick succession because you know referees don't punish you in quite the same way because they do just kind of package it as an all-in-one experience almost so there is there is a certain part of that if you wanted to try and defend him you maybe argue he's just kicking the ball away in frustration he doesn't really know where he's kicking it i don't i don't believe that i don't believe (laughs) that but you know that's probably what he's telling the referee he's probably i'm just frustrated i just kicked it i just kicked it i didn't even know it could have been my own bench i didn't know i didn't know but yeah, I think he's lucky. And but then I also think Van Dyke to come storming in and just yeah. you know knock him over in the way in which he did. You, you could get you could say probably should get sent off for that as well. So you know six of one, half a dozen near the other, I guess. But then Van Dyke missed a penalty, so maybe the Dutch would have yeah. liked him to have been sent off. <laughs> and then so that's the other kind of point is at the end of the match, there's the great picture i sent you in in our chat of um croatia winning on the penalties and kind of celebrating on their own side to themselves to their bench and then you have the picture of argentina literally just all turned to to the dutch players kind of just being very unsportsmanlike in their celebration and taunting them and clearly you know mocking them and and directing their their offenses right at the Dutch players. It's a terrible look. It is. And I, and I get it. Oh, they were saying this to us and they were saying this to that. And we were going after, you know, Dumfries in particular, who was, you know, eventually got sent off for having two yellows in that, in that whole penalty shootout. But who cares? You're the, be a, be the better man. You won the match. Celebrate with your team. You don't need to gloat at that point. You've already won. Don't be dickheads. Well, they're scumbags. Argentina are scumbags. I still think I'm unfortunately in a position where I have to support them because I really don't want France to win the World Cup. So 
I'm going to have to accept that the scumbags one way or the other probably need to win the World <laughs> Cup. And I'm going to take the scumbags I don't live around. But I mean, look, Messi, petty little prick for the celebration he did. You know, he did the ear, hands to the ear. He did Juan Raquel May's celebration. The whole reason for that, for those who don't know, like not Messi's typical c- c- uh, celebration. Van Gaal, the Dutch manager, had had Raquel May at Barcelona, didn't like him, said he never wanted him in the first place, and then moved him on. Raquel May's obviously held a grudge. Raquel May and Messi have become friends. So Messi scores and then ran and did Raquel May's trademark celebration in front of Van Gaal. You're talking about a gripe from like 2000 here. Grow up. You're supposed to be the greatest player of all time. And yet you want to kind of show off in front of the Dutch manager, who, by the way, has cancer. Also, let's just throw that in there in terms of how fucking petty are you going to be when you've got this guy in his, I assume, early 70s now who is just there managing a national side. Well, and then, and then, but it's a terrible, I think that match in particular is a very bad look for Messi because not only that, he then doubles down in all of his post-game, inter, uh, post-match interviews and, and pressers because he keeps going after him. Like he, he, there were several times he kept going after him and like, just let it go, man. You won the fucking match. Like, why are you going after a 75-year-old manager? Like, no, I don't cancer? get it. <laughs> like, but, it even, but it's also just like, what's the big grudge here? You had a guy who you subs- who maybe was a bit of a hero of yours, I guess, given the ages, perhaps, but I don't know. But then subsequently you've become quite friendly with and he's been a bit of a mentor for Messi. And he had a manager who didn't like him at one point. He didn't ruin his life. He just said he didn't really want Barcelona to sign him. And then it was kind of forced upon him, and then they got rid of him, and Raquel May went on to have a very good career elsewhere. Whoopty fucking do. Is this, in the world of professional sports, this is the thing that you're going to hold on to? This is the big point from the normally totally silent Lionel Messi, the guy we can't get a word out of. I mean, I think he's probably a moron and can't read, which is probably part of the problem here. But like, you can't get him to comment on any situation in the world either in football, in politics, or whatever it is. And yet suddenly, the year is 2022. He's in the most controversial World Cup to have ever taken place. Literally, a migrant worker died the other day working on the training facilities being used during the World Cup. And FIFA's statement on it was, death happens. Sometimes it happens at work. Sometimes it happens in your sleep. You think I'm joking? That's their official statement. But... But you want to have all that going on. And the thing you're so passionate about is that 20-something years ago, one of your kind of friends wasn't liked by his boss. This is the problem. I mean, if good for Messi, I've got to say, if he's got so much going well for him in his life, that that's the like, that's it. This is the thing he's been waiting for all these years. Oh, God, I hope I get to play against Van Gaal and do this. I mean... I wish life were that simple for the rest of us because he's really searching pretty hard to find gripes to have with other people. Yeah. And then, and then, so yeah, he went after him and then he also went after the Dutch goal scorer. Cause I guess he walked by after the, in the post-match interview, did you see this? And he said, what are you looking at? You fool to him. Like grow up. Would Tom Brady ever do that? Like, like no, you know why? Tom, you know how you know Tom Brady wouldn't do that because we just saw Tom Brady have a terrible game against the San Francisco 49ers and then got asked to sign a ball from the guy from an interception that the guy kept 
who then went up to him after the game and said, will you sign this ball? Tom Brady just fucking signed it. Yeah. Because you know what? If you're anything, if you want to be Tom Brady, what a huge compliment to have someone come up and be like, man, can you please sign this interception ball? Because you're the greatest quarterback of all time. But yeah, that's after getting massacred. Yeah. (laughs) Losing, but, getting embarrassed. It was such a bad game that they took it off of national television. That's yeah. how bad it was. <laughs> but yeah, this Messi just looks like a prick. And it the looks, Argentinians, it's such a bad look on him. Just such Argenti- a bad look. The Argentinians are scumbags. I mean, there's no, they are every, they always are. They're scumbags. And <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> football team, not the people. People are quite nice, nice, nice meat. You know, like overall, I'm not complaining about Argentinians as a whole. I'm not one of these weird English people who still has some issue over the Falklands. You can have the shitty islands back if you want. I really don't care. But at the same time, you're still your football team, constantly scumbags. Your greatest footballing icon was a bloated cocaine addict whose most famous moment is cheating openly, being proud of it, and then dedicating it to his god. So if you want to say... England, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. But it's an indication, you know what I mean? Like the people you make your heroes, not to get all political right, but it's the significance sometimes of why you take statues down. And in the case of Argentina, they're like, who's the biggest scumbag? Can we build a statue to him? That's just, you know, that's there seems to be their national policy in terms of, and Messi probably and coming towards the end of his career, and he's probably like, I might win this World Cup, I might not. And then once I retire, there is going to be the constant me versus Maradona comparisons. And if I really want the Argentinians to embrace me, I better have a few scumbag moves on my resume just to make sure they they know I am truly one of their own. Yeah, and... It- for, for most of those reasons that Eddie just outlined so eloquently, uh, I, I don't think I can root for Argentina in this. Um, I have to, unfortunately. Because I, 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 I don't, hey, I don't maybe, think... It, maybe Croatia can just keep holding on. I don't think anyone but France... I don't think anyone but Argentina can beat France. Can beat France. So this is my issue. Yeah. It puts me... It's a real dilemma. And whilst they are all scumbags, I guess I can at least accept the greatest player in the world winning a World Cup. Whereas to see, oh, so you're gonna root for Mbappe in France? Well, you know, I made the comment at his big fucking smile, big dumb smile <laughs> before it, and to see his stupid face after Kane's missed penalty, uh, you know, like now I'm, and I mean, look, I didn't even realize he was playing in that match. I mean, I'm surprised he might not well, be. Well, he the was semi- there. He he was tucked under Kyle Walker's back pocket. You didn't see. Yeah, him no, there. he might. He his, might. his his big head was out and out of uh, Walker's pocket. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and look, this might be an issue for France because you know if Kyle Walker hasn't paid any attention, he might have packed him up in his suitcase and he might be back in London right now. So, <laughs> so there's 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 some reasons there to be concerned. He might not be playing in the semifinal, but uh, yeah, it's disappointing overall, but. And it's not that was actually we didn't bring we didn't bring that up. But that was actually fun to watch as a side, almost like a side match to that match. Just watching Kyle Walker. It was impressive. There would be times where he would go up with the play and then just sprint back and just be looking for Mbappe and then just like five yards away, just planted right by him. It was it was a cool little side story to, to kind of keep an eye on throughout the match. And I think he did a great job. 
No, they did. I mean, they totally neutralized Mbappe. He posed no real threat. And then that's the real shame. You kind of went into it. And it wasn't England versus Mbappe, as Kyle Walker pointed out beforehand. But it makes it extra disappointing because it would have been all the more satisfying from an England perspective to not only outplay them, but also say, hey, we were supposed to have the currently the best player in the world on the pitch. And we turned him into a passenger in your team. Like we really removed him as a threat. Kyle Walker went, you know, head to head with him and definitely won that battle. There's no doubts about that, but it doesn't matter because you lose. But now do we move on to the big world news? The fact that Brittany Griner is now free. Do we? <laughs> I know how much you, how cl- you were waiting how cl- for that, weren't you? How closely you've been following this, but yeah, one of the biggest. Well, we won't even make the the jokes everyone else is making about. That's been women's us. women's basketball trades. You know, we don't have to have to do that but yeah Brittany Griner is now free nice for her and her family I think actually my favorite one of those that I saw was the Russell Wilson to Denver is still a worse trade (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Russell Wilson knows he's in Denver anymore after the the concussion he suffered the other day it's a shame because right as he was starting to remember what what it was like to be Russell Wilson from Seattle Kansas City just knocked that part of his brain out. Well, I mean, maybe in the grand scheme of things, he can just sit the rest of this year out and reflect no, on rem- what a what a disaster it's been. No, remember, he doesn't suffer from any long-term concussions, head traumas, or anything because he hydrates so well, so he'll be fine. But yeah, it's, I guess, quick talking points on the NFL. The Niners absolutely demolishing the Buccaneers. Yeah, I'm still, I mean, Tom Brady can make his little fourth quarter comeback the week before and everyone can kind of think things are going to be okay. But the first three quarters of that game were miserable and then all four quarters of this game were miserable and they are just a trash team. They are not, they are not a playoff team. I think they are, but. I don't know. I honestly don't, at this point, I honestly don't know if they make the playoffs. They look awful. They can't do anything. It's true, but what do they need? One more win? Two more wins? They're one up right now. They're on, they're one up in their division. I know, but their division's terrible, so most of those teams are going to lose most of their games, right? But so are they, Eddie. That's what I'm trying to say here. Okay, but I here's don't the think thing. they're necessarily better than anyone in that division. And I so genuinely got, mean that. So they've got four remaining games. They play the Bengals this weekend. Let's call that loss. a loss. Then they play the Cardinals. Loss. I'm not certain, but probably. And then they play the Panthers and the Falcons to wrap things up. Yeah, I think the Panthers win this division with Sam Darnold. <laughs> I don't think they do, but yeah, I think I think the Bucks will will squeeze through. But it's... who do the Panthers play? Well, this is where we're going to go into your bias. So they play the Steelers next. Win. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but this is because you think the Steelers are terrible. Steelers don't have this... a QB right now. They don't need one against this Panthers team. <laughs> I, I then okay, they so, play the Lions. So with three games left, they're now tied. Okay. Okay. Then they play the Lions. Lost. So they both lose there. Okay. Then they, then play, they play the Bucks. The, then win. they play the Bucks. And who's okay. their last game? The Saints. Oh. Oh man, I think the Panthers are going to win this division. That is going to be so pathetic. I don't know, because you, you, you are just talking there about 
potentially, I mean, the, you're just talking about the Bucks winning two of the next four, and I'd say three of those games are against bad teams. I, know, I like, think it's going to come down to the, the, the Panthers Bucks. Well, it's going to come down to one way or the other Panthers Bucks or Falcons Bucks. You know, like that's, but I don't know. I think they win two of those games, in which case, if they win two of them, they're fine. Because and I then all oh, actually the hub win the division, so they'll be a fourth seed, which then they get super lucky that they're the fourth seed. But yeah, play who they and won't play th- in the playoffs, the Giants, because they're not making it. <laughs> <laughs> no, although I mean the Giants' the big game is this weekend, right? The game against Washington. That's the this game in a, the game this in a sense on Sunday kind of didn't matter too much. It comes down to can they beat Washington? If they do, then things remain in their own hands. Um, but aside, you know, not too many takeaways. We said going into the week, it was not the most eventful set of NFL games. It kind of all went to form. Maybe the closest thing to a surprise was the Cowboys really struggling to beat the Texans and needing a like last minute 98 yard drive and, you know, a touchdown with a handful of seconds left to, to, take the lead for the first time in quite a long time in that game. Well, apart from that, I mean, pretty much. I mean, you say things went to form, and I guess part of that is that the Lions were favored, but the Lions did beat the Vikings, who are the Vikings still are the awful. number two seed in, in the NFC. Yeah, but they're, they're terrible. I mean, if you want to say the Bucks aren't a playoff team, I don't know if the Vikings are a playoff team. They just managed to string a get together some wins and get to eight to eight and two early in the season. They just have Justin and, Jefferson, <laughs> and they're lu- and they're lucky that the Packers have been awful. Yeah, because most years this is actually kind of following the normal sort of projection of a Viking season, which is like good for a period, but then the wheels kind of come off, and then the Packers overtake them. And instead, this year it's like, well, the Packers are so far behind that they're going to win the division. By default, almost. Yeah. And look, I guess the other thing that maybe didn't go to form, the Chargers beating the Dolphins. Just given the defensive injuries that the Chargers had going into that. Uh, I think that game was a bit of a coin toss anyway, because they're two sort of unpredictable teams. And I don't think either of them were that good. But So I had a question for you, Eddie. Um, What quarterback would you rather have? I'm going to give you some stats here. (laughs) Okay. Okay. These are first half stats. First half stats. All right. Because it's it's not worth taking the second half. Fourteen out of eighteen, one hundred and eighty-five yards and three TDs. Quarterback A, or quarterback B, nine for eighteen, seventy-eight yards, no TDs. So, one of those is Tua. <laughs> is the other one Herbert? Quarterback A is Purdy. 14 for and 18, 185 yards, three TDs. Oh, yeah, Quarterback B is Tom Brady, a measly oh, 78 okay. yards at halftime. Scenario two, Eddie. What QB would you take? QBA. 20, this is first half stats, by the way. 24 yeah. for 29, 222 yards and a TD. Or three for 15 for 25 yards. So that's that's Tua and Herbert, isn't it? Which one would you take? <laughs> uh, quarterback B. Oh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like that was in their first play. half. That so those aren't um, what, what did you call them? Meaningless yards when you're down <laughs> by twenty or something like that. I think it was. <laughs> hey, look, they still nearly lost that game. They weren't that far away. They were like one, you know. Um, yeah, and I, it was all thanks to uh, Tyreek Hill picking up a, a fumble that pooped out of someone and ran for fifty yards. <laughs> interesting discussion. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it described that way during the. <laughs> during the coverage yeah i mean the, the dolphins didn't look very good uh as for... i do i do see why though you have a slight bias against herbert is because i will say the media has basically like been sleeping with justin herbert apparently like for the last two seasons it, it's as if he is tom brady joe montana and Dan Marino put into one QB the way they speak of him. It's oh no, it's, he's it's been anointed much. as he's been anointed as like the next great quarterback, and we need to see more from him. Again, I'm not saying he's bad. It's it's just like I need to see him make the playoffs because you can say whatever you want. As I said in the last episode, you can say whatever you want about strength of roster or you know injuries or whatever. But really great quarterbacks, you make the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe then you lose, like you get found out eventually, but. There's not really great quarterbacks who go a number of years and it's just like, oh, my team never gets there. If you're that good, you're you're just eking out decent enough performances to win 10, 11 games every once in a while. Um, Purdy, though, I'm not trying to get too excited about <laughs> Brock Purdy. I And it, it will get harder for him as teams learn more about him. He will definitely be benefiting a little bit right now, right? From just not having, he's a little bit of an unknown factor and they won't have the game tape. But this is a Niners team that up until that Garoppolo injury kind of had no deep threat. Like they beat you through, you know, chipping their way down the field, running the ball, doing their damage in their passing game over 10, 15, maximum 20 yards and maybe the yard after, like yards after catch. Yeah. They've got a deep threat now. Not only do they have a deep threat, he's more mobile than Garoppolo. So you've got the possibility of him actually being a bit dangerous with the ball on the ground and actually finding receivers deep downfield. I kind of like him more. Imagine they didn't waste that pick on Trey Lance. God, the talent they could have around him. (laughs) I mean, I think he's got enough talent around him, but that's I don't think that can be his, I don't think that can be his excuse. And hopefully the Debo Samuel injury isn't severe. Early indications are that it's not, even though the look of him on the field was not great. And whenever you see the player sort of semi crying as they're being carted off, it's Don't say semi. <laughs> but people always assume the worst from that. They're like, he knows his season is over. I kinda love that as as if like I know there's times when I say this is someone who had a pretty bad knee injury. There's times when you can probably know like, uh oh, this is a this is not a good one. But at the, but also I think in the heat of the moment of injuring your knee if you're Debo Samuel and you've had injuries in the past, I think your mind probably goes to the worst case scenario in terms of as a player, like, this isn't good, especially if you feel like you're on a Super Bowl contender this year. Like even if I'm just missing this season, I'm missing an opportunity to potentially win a Super Bowl. But I don't think we can suddenly just assume that every player on the field is is like an ex- super experienced orthopedic surgeon because as soon as they feel their knee click, they're like, that's me out for 18 months. I know it. I know it. 
I sent to you as well the comment by Jerry Rice, who was very critical of the Niners coaching staff for the fact that now Trey Lance has been injured, Jimmy G has been injured, and Debo has been injured in what he says are running running into the middle and that we need to stop having our playmakers run what is basically like dives into into the middle. What do you think about that? I think there's some maybe legitimate criticism in terms of the how Trey Lance was being used and how his injury came about because they were just they were getting him to just run up the middle time after time. I think that Debo Samuel injury is just unfortunate. He gets hit by multiple players from different angles while his legs are trapped by another player. I mean, that could have happened anywhere on the field in any situation, pretty much, you know, like, and so I think also you can't be in one way. And I don't know necessarily if Jerry Rice is in this camp, but I bet you he is. You can't be praising the Niners for their creative run game and how they get all the players involved and like how impossible they are to stop and then say, yeah, but could you take away 40% of the field, please? Because you might get one of them hurt. And don't want to be one of those guys. Like, it's a dangerous sport. People get hurt. It's unfortunate, but it comes with the territory. And, you know, maybe you could say at the time in the game that, like, they maybe didn't need to be doing it in that particular game. That might be the more sophisticated argument. Yeah. It's like there was, there was, I mean, it was 21-0 at that point, maybe. Was it four, It might have been only 14, though. Now, right. it might have been 21. Whatever it was, yeah. they had already won. I mean, they had won before <laughs> pregame kickoff. I mean, well, the challenge was how many points did you think the Bucks could get to? So Seven. 14 was, yeah, 14 was probably going to be enough, but definitely one more score was probably putting the game to bed. But yeah, I guess that's the criticism. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think, I don't think that's really fair critique. But if, Nothing else caught your eye from the sporting world. I have a non-sporting story to tell. Ooh. So to uh, compound my misery from Saturday night, you know, I afterwards with a few people decided to go out for some some drinks after the England game was done and dusted and Lost went to England one bar. Lives. Yeah. Own it. Anyway. <laughs> we went to one bar, 5 a.m., and we thought, you know what? Let's keep things going. And uh, is this a bar you're normally uh, banned from? I, I, so we've told the story on the podcast, right? Uh, I, I said, I'm not going to go in, but I'll walk by. So we walk by. And at that point, I see a couple of friends inside the bar that I am not allowed into. And our friend Vasilis, who hasn't featured on the podcast for a while, was like, come on, man, let me go inside and see if they'll let you in. I was like, I don't, I don't even want to. He goes inside. I just picture you as like (laughs) this guy just like pacing back and forth from the front window, kind of like peeking in and seeing seeing if you can come in or not. And then like someone points and you're like, oh, oh, me? You're pointing to me? Oh, not me. Okay, sorry. No, no, me. You're pointing (laughs) to someone else. Okay, cool. Never mind. Never mind. No, it was nothing like that. He comes outside and he goes, if you go in and apologize, they'll let you in. Oh my God. That ain't happening. So no thanks never apologizing don't think i did anything that wrong so no then one of my other friends walks out and hands me a beer that he's bought inside i was like we'll stand outside with you and talk to you out here 
So he hands me a bottle. He hands me a person you are <laughs> <laughs> hands me a bottle of Budweiser and we're just having a chat while some people smoke uh, not me but some people having cigarettes outside and I'm having my beer and then after about five minutes bouncer comes from outside and he says oh, sorry the manager of the bar can see you're standing in front of the bar you're not you're not allowed to even do that you need to move to the side of the bar oh, this is so, so he, good he makes me walk I don't know two and a half meters and he's like, yeah, you can stand there now. That's fine. At this point, I was nearly finished with my Budweiser, so I just finished it and left. I, mean, I wasn't going to hang around for another beer anyway because it's quite cold. So it was not outdoor drinking temperature. But uh, part of me admired the pettiness of it. Yeah, good but for also him. Good for that manager. I love that. That's, that's a power move. Can but you here's move the thing is. Four feet here's over, the, please. Here's the thing is. Not good for him. The manager is the the girl. So for anyone, oh. we're talking about the, the Galway pub in Paris in case anyone wants to know where to and, avoid. And not go. <laughs> yeah. But, and maybe we'll we'll put this up on our social media, tag them in it so they can have a good piece of publicity. But uh, we, it wasn't him because then when Vasilis went inside after that, as soon as the bouncer told me to move, he then said like, oh, just so you know, it wasn't me. I don't care if he's standing outside. That was that was the manager. Oh, she's so, got it out for you now. I guess so. But what a power you know. move! Can you tell your pathetic friend hunching outside with his Budweiser to move over four feet, please? <laughs> <laughs> I love. I wish yeah. I'd have been there. Would have laughed at you so hard. <laughs> from inside. I mean, part of me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I then I did really regret even giving them the sense that I wanted to go in, which I didn't. Genuinely, I was just walking by with people who yeah. were going to go in. But the fact that I then got given a beer and then they, in their minds, were like, he really wants to be here, doesn't he? That's the thing. That's the thing that upsets me. That's quite a low for you. I'm a little disappointed. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I, I, You know what? I'll, I'll let it go because people do weird things while grieving. You know, you never know how someone's going to act in while grieving. So let's let's chalk it up to that. I also want to give myself a slight pass. There's another late night bar. When I say late night, open till seven eight a.m. nearby Pub Saint Michel. We tried to get in there first, which Vasilis is not allowed in. No, but he wasn't with us at that moment in time. <laughs> it makes it but, tough for you too if you want to go to a late night bar. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can Facetime each other from the ones we we're each allowed into. But he, uh, we weren't allowed in because they said that they wouldn't allow a group of all guys in. Which one person in our group, (laughs) one person in our group got very upset over, I will say. Oh, I thought you were going to say one person in your group was actually female. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) No, one person in our group did not take that news very well and got into quite a large argument. So. Yeah. Was this person older? Oh, older than me, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of then. No. It's actually the same person who got into an argument in the Galway that led to me being barred there. Same person who's then <laughs> in an argument outside Pub Semi Shell. And I might not be allowed in Pub Semi Shell now either. Got it. <laughs> yeah, an eventful weekend. 
very eventful. Yeah. And it's, it's the real shame about the loss too is I have now have, I barely care. Actually, that, that was, I was going to ask you that before we finished. I, I almost have no desire to watch these semifinal matches. One, because they don't sound that appealing to me. And two, it, I'm still just a little devastated <laughs> by, by the outcome. I, may, I guess Croatia, Argentina, I would be invested to watch more for the fact that I would love to see Argentina lose just after the way they've acted and the, just the, 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 uh, the, the way that they're, I can't stand them. So it would be, it would be fun to watch them lose and watch them bitch and complain about how the ref screwed them here. The ref screwed them. They actually complained in their match that the ref was against them in that match. And the reasons yeah. like, I don't understand how when, you have a guy who kicks a ball into a bench and doesn't get sent off. And then they were complaining that the ref was against them because he put too much time on at the end. It's not the ref that does that. Like, like what are you even talking about? No. Yeah, no, they, they, and I do. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to them much. And it is the combination of the factors. It's the disappointment of England just having been knocked out. And it's just, yeah, I think if this had been France against Portugal and Brazil against Argentina, and then, just a little bit more. I'm telling myself like, oh, Ronaldo, one last chance in a semifinal and Brazil, Argentina, great rivalry. And then at this point, I'd be, <clears throat> I can barely get the words out. It upsets me to say what I'm about to say. You'd root for Brazil? <laughs> yeah, I'd be supporting Brazil at this point. Gosh, I nearly choked. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, instead it's they're just kind of quite anticlimactic. Yeah, semifinals. And look, if you're Croatian or Moroccan, I'm not trying to knock it. I'm like, great for you. But from a neutral's perspective, it's just a little bit. I'm never the we've spoken about this many times before. I'm never a fan of the underdog run unless I'm directly supporting the underdog. Because if not, I feel like as a neutral, it denies me the best possible entertainment most of the time. Unless one of these, unless Morocco are going to pull off something truly spectacular. But if they're now just going to get to the semifinals and lose, uh, we didn't need this. Yeah, I guess, you know, you can just look forward to the fact that you have the semifinals Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you have the third place is, I think, Saturday, and the final is on Sunday. And then you also have NFL on both Saturday and Sunday this week. So a decent amount of sports to watch. Yes. And the other thing I will say compared to most world cup disappointments, you then usually have a period of no sport. So getting over it is a little bit harder because you know, when the, when it's in June, it's like, Oh, well the football season doesn't kick off by that. I mean, European football for a couple of weeks and NFL is still six weeks away from starting at least here. I get to immediately, you know, move on both through the NFL season Blackburn were back in action this weekend and lost, so that didn't help me. But, you know, European football <laughs> will be fully back underway within a couple of weeks as well. So you get to just forget about it and move on to the next adventure. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I guess I'll talk to you later. See you. See you.